You're listening to Where We Are, a weekend conversation on faith, politics, family, and culture, hosted by me, Michael Weir, and my wife, Melissa. We bring our wide-ranging experiences in politics, ministry, and nonprofit life to bear as we discuss the issues of the day. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss a range of news that's unfolded over the last a few days. We have a new Speaker of the House. Mike Pence has dropped out, and we'll discuss a new survey on religion and values in America. You're listening to Where We Are. This is Where We Are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And Melissa, after something of a break from like the the you and me episodes. Yeah, I think everybody missed you. You know, I haven't heard that. So if anyone did miss me, they can reach out. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) Spotify for podcasters has really detailed analytics. And they miss you, Michael. <laughs> um, well, that's that's very sweet. Uh, I see how um, it is. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad to join you. Uh, You've interrupted my viewing of Center Stage, the 2000 I just year got, 2000 ballet movie. I just got home from a work thing, and Melissa is just having a glorious Saturday evening i mean i'm doing client work but (laughs) but yes i'm watching center stage for probably the hundredth time in my life yes and you have many hundreds left to go i do um lord willing lord yes (laughs) lord willing um and so that's great uh it's uh it's a very busy season we're now less than three months from the spirit of our politics coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, pro tip: you can go to the Amazon page now and read a bunch of the endorsements for the book, and you could learn more about the book. So I, I'd encourage you to do that. And if you think it worthwhile, would would appreciate uh, you pre-ordering the book. Uh, and then the Center for Christianity and Public Life has its. Inaugural summit in just over a week, November 6th through 7th in Washington, D.C. We have released uh, just this week, uh, not just the full speaker lineup, but the conversation, uh, the, the topics for each of the sessions. And so would love for you to make last minute plans to be with us in Washington, D.C., November 6th through 7th. Obviously, if you're already in the DMV, uh, then you're already here and would love for you to join us you can learn more at ccpubliclife.org. Melissa, you're going to be there. I am. We've made the proper arrangements. Our children will be properly watched. Fed and <laughs> fed and, and not running around your conference. <laughs> Telling uh, Senator Chris Murphy and Senator Chris Coons what to do. <laughs> yes, and Searsha would 100% tell she them what would. to do. Um, so... There is a lot of news to talk about. There is. And one of the breaking items over the last day or two is that former Vice President Mike Pence has 
dropped out of the Republican primary. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know Pence not going to win. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just riffing here. Um, but it was a long time coming. Uh, it was very clear. We've discussed this thoroughly on this show. The the rationale for a Mike Pence run never made sense to us. Other than Mike Pence's conviction that he uh, was called to the presidency, I don't think it made sense to Mike Pence. Um, and so, uh, so that race is over. I will say, and I shouldn't be right. I think there are a lot of admirable things about about Mike Pence. Um, not just the January 6th stuff. I actually think that's a bit overplayed. It's, uh, but, um, but, uh, one of the things I admire about Pence is that he dropped out before votes took place. Like the, the like there was a, and you're smiling. The, the, I don't mean that as a, as a, um, as a dig or as mm-hmm. a, it's very hard to drop out after you've spent millions of dollars the impulse is, who knows what will happen? Let's take this to Iowa. Let's not drop out until voters have their say. Um, and like we, it's just very hard for your ego to say, well, maybe I'll just have a like a great debate performance. We'll have a go. Yeah, and um, it, it it takes a big man. It takes a big person. To look at the the data, to have an to have an honest assessment. Uh, obviously, the people directly around you love you. You're paying a lot of them, and so sometimes it's hard to get get like beyond that and say, you know what? As he said today, like this is not my moment. Um, so I I admire that. Um, the other thing we've said on this podcast over and over is uh, Mike Pence was not going to be a good candidate in 2024. He has the potential to be an influential uh, endorser and surrogate. And so I will be very interested to see if Pence decides to endorse before Iowa um, and, and what that looks like if he prosecutes a case against Trump that allows a Trump alternative that he endorses to sort of be a degree removed away and and uh, not directly offend Trump voters and like let Pence do that. Um, so so that'll be an interesting dynamic to play out. Pence a few months ago was polling as high as eight nine points nationally. In recent polls, he's been between like two and five. So his dropping out is not necessarily going to lead to like a a big swing. As folks know, in terms of national polling, uh, uh, Trump is polling way ahead of the pack. And so there needs to be a lot of consolidation, honestly, for this to be even within 20 points. Uh, because Trump's sitting typically around 58, 59 but this is the this is one step towards consolidation, and we'll see 
how many others, you know, drop, drop out. Um, just the last thing I'd say is, you know, one reason for Pence to drop out now is there were some real questions about whether he was even going to make the debate stage for the next debate. And so, you know, he, he kind of gets to leave on his on his own terms in that way. So, he so yeah. Also, he also was really short on cash. Well, yeah. So a lot of this could have been just really a numbers game, a practical, logical game. Yeah, because sure. we know that he felt like he was destined to be president sort of thing. And so to bump up against aspirations like that, I feel like some of the reasons why had to be actually quite practical. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So that's, that's Mike Pence, but we shall see who he endorses. Yeah. And, and if he does, like, I mean, yeah, I, sure. I think, I think he will, but like, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And it'll be interesting. Does he endorse before Iowa or does he wait for some kind of like clear alternative to emerge? And if so, will that be too late? It, 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 I wish I could be a fly on the wall of those those conversations um, of, of what they're considering. Um, all right, let's talk about the speaker news. Yeah, we have a new speaker. Finally, new speaker. it took 22 days. Yes. Yeah. Um, Mike Johnson yes, from Louisiana. That's right. Uh, one of the youngest, uh, or sh- uh, a speaker who served for the shortest amount of time in yes. Congress. Yes. Um, it's it, one of the ways Mike Johnson made it, where Tom Emmer and Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise and Kevin McCarthy couldn't is because he had been in Congress for relatively a, a short amount of time. He hadn't burned as many bridges as that some of them correct. and earned as many enemies. And so that seems to be a key, a key dynamic. It's also, um, I think there's this combination of His being a strong Trump supporter with having a more civil affect that makes the 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 moderate wing of the party more comfortable. I think that has been uh, was helpful for for uh, for his rise. It is kind of an open question to me. how long this lasts um they're looking there have been rumors that there's going to be a rules change to prevent this kind of thing from happening again but like they're going to have to pass it because they passed the rules change that allowed for this to happen um but melissa what what thoughts do you have about not just the new speaker but the whole you know the last three three and a half weeks well, they wasted a lot of time for getting a budget passed. Uh, we have until November 17th until the government, the next hurdle for the government shutdown. And though, I mean, I guess perhaps the one good thing is that the Republican Party finally seems united around somebody. Yeah. At least for now in this next couple of weeks of this newest budget fight and that Kevin McCarthy from his own, what, however many voting rounds he had back in January, was always sort of fighting for his life, whereas 
Johnson will not have that dynamic going into these last two weeks before November 17th. And so that'll be really interesting to watch with a, at least on the surface for the last 10 minutes of Republican Party that's a bit more united. And again, around that unity, I just, in politics, it's always so funny to me when you get new case studies or new examples of how much personality and agency sort of play into these things where you have all, you know, he got unanimous. He was unanimously voted in. So that mean, means the moderate wing, the wing who had been against like a Scalise type candidate or, um, or a, a, Jordan, jo- yeah. a, a Jordan type candidate um, because they're members of the MAGA wing. Well, jo- Johnson is a member of the MAGA wing, but because he didn't sort of have a aura around him again you like every a track record but also just like a narrative a uh these things sort of following him that it was just much easier to to vote for him just because i mean even the media like can't cover him as they like would cover a jim jordan you know getting the speakership that these types of examples always um uh, i find to be pretty fascinating but my main thing is uh, moving on to the budget. I, faffing around with all that stuff is of no interest to me. It's it's this government shutdown. Um, can they finally stop kicking the can down the road? What will November 17th look like? Yeah. Um, I will say just to go, you know, to go back to the dynamics, we did do an emergency, you know, special episode of the we podcast. Did. And... You know, I was really clear in that episode. Um, well, I say I was really clear, but but Democrats don't seem to be heeding my sort of, uh, which is, you know, exactly, this played out exactly how we suggested it would. And Democrats are responding in the way that we thought they would, which I think is just like, Right. It's it, it it is uh look, there's a lot to be cynical about and look, I'm very understanding of the folks who say this is a Republican mess and uh you know, these are Republican dy- dynamics. But, but but look, uh McCarthy was removed with unanimous support among Democrats. And I I just I just think that when you when you do that, when you take that vote, you either have to do it um because you're gonna be you have some strategy to get a better outcome, uh or like uh, there's been a lot of Democratic Oh, you know, Republicans elected an extremist. Well, yeah, you voted along with seven extremists plus Nancy Mace, uh, quote unquote extremists, the the right wing of the party. Uh, of uh, yeah, you're going to empower the people that you vote with. That's mm-hmm. why they're voting that way. And so, all of now, you know, the reporting is that Democrats think that they're going to be able to make this a winning issue for the midterm or for, 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 for the congressional elections. And I, I, I get it, but because this was 
prompted in part because of Democrats' decision. Um, don't you just don't they just feel icky about it? <laughs> like, like you know, don't they don't they take any responsibility? Like, I don't get how you could say we precipitated this with our votes, and also. Um, uh, it led to a worse outcome for the for the American people. Like like the new speaker is worse, even quote unquote even worse than the last one. Um, but but that's that's what's playing out. One of the things that's been fascinating about this is to see the further mainstreaming of. Christian nationalism as a thing that's just referenced almost like without further citation in like national new news mm -hmm. headlines. Yep. Um, there was a New York Times, uh, New York Times article that headline uh, uh, for Mike Johnson, religion is at the forefront of politics and policy. The subhead is, the new House Speaker has put his faith at the center of his political career and aligned himself with a newer cohort of conservative Christianity that some describe as Christian nationalism. And guys... Who and or what are some? <laughs> some describe. Yeah. Yeah, well, right. Exactly. <laughs> That's like a classic like news things. Uh, okay, yeah. So who who's saying that? B... A, a newer cohort of conservative Christianity. No, this is 1980s, 1990s stuff. This is like, like the evidence for the Christian nationalism is that he thought he thinks like school prayer, like ending school prayer is a bad idea. Yeah, that's a, that's a like mid to late 20th century disagreement that's not new this idea that there are there's a resurgence or more christian nationalists today than 20 years ago is just such a complete rewriting and misunderstanding of religious demographics in this country of the history of religion and politics as we've talked on this show before, it's this sort of history began with Trump coming down the escalator. Again, we talk about this a lot. I don't want to beat a dead horse here. Uh, but in order to properly respond to this moment, we need to just have our facts straight and not conveniently rewrite rewrite history. Um Mike Johnson was at ADF. That's where his career was made. ADF is a legacy religious right institution. The idea that in order to scare people, we need to claim that this is new, that this, is, this isn't just the religious right that progressives have been rallying against for decades this is this is christian nationalism i it just all seems so silly melissa it all seems so contrived and again it just it 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 neglects reality like 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 
Mike Johnson, to me, is just a movement, religious right conservative. And that's core to understanding religious the religious political dynamics in this country. Not, oh, there's this new thing we need to we need to define and study and da, da, da. it's no, it's the 1990s fam. The, the NSYNC and the religious right are still around. Okay. <laughs> um, it's, 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 you live, you, the, the other thing, this is a redux of, right. Newsweek runs a cover story. I think it was, in 2000 or 1999 or something like that, God is dead. And then, oh, George W. Bush emerges on the scene. Who is this guy? He has a conversion story. Jesus Christ is his favorite philosophy. What is this new, newfangled religion? I thought that stuff was going out. Well, no, it's not going out. We live in a deeply religious country with a lot of religious conservatives. George W. Bush didn't come out of nowhere Mike Johnson has not come out of nowhere. These are folks, uh, in Mike Johnson's case, who have been cultivated by institutions and a network of individuals that didn't just spring up and their ideas didn't just spring up. So it's, it's just like I've seen so much awful reporting and I've seen so many progressive attacks and even like, you know, this new center-right sort of uh, folks who want to who wanna act like this stuff is new, like attacking Mike Johnson for saying, uh, you know, that, that um, there was an article that I thought really significantly misquoted Mike Johnson. He, he, he said in his speech as he became speaker that, you know, uh, God appoints leaders. And he said in the speech, he appointed all of us. Now, you could disagree with that, but A, you're going to find that expressed at victory speeches and election night speeches on both the left and the right. Uh, you're going to find it, that idea throughout American history. You're going to find it attached to a whole range of political perspectives. And so when there are efforts to say see this is christian nationalism like people who have a memory people who uh people who have the perspective that god appoints leaders that's not saying that every leader is uh that god supports everything that they do that's not the that's not the point of the idea and i think it's contested whatever um but to put all the focus there, this is the danger of Christian nationalism, means that you're signaling to millions and millions of Americans that you just like, you're just playing a game, and you're you're just you're just trying to spin to 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 um, to, to 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 make religion a foil. And there are real fights that we need to have. Like there are real disagreements we need to have with Mike Johnson's policies on a whole and with right on a whole number of fronts that these sort of like 
fake battles, the, the, the sort of made up or just sort of um, contextless, this sort of contextless fear mongering um, is, is just not helpful. And people do it in the name of, you know, com combating extremism or promoting pluralism. Uh, but uh, when you don't have your facts straight and when you're playing loose with the facts, um, then efforts made in the name of reducing division actually exacerbate it. And so... So yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be, it's been amazing to see, sort of the, the the efforts to define Mike Johnson uh, out of the gate here. We actually have an entire episode on Christian nationalism. It's episode fifty-five, so you can check that out if you want to hear more of our thoughts on this particular topic that is everywhere these days. Everywhere. Uh, but we are going to discuss in the last few minutes of today's episode some new data from PRRI. They ran their 14th annual American Value Survey, which is done in partnership between PRRI and Brookings in the Brookings Institution, and it examines Americans' attitudes about the leading candidates for president, potential support for third-party candidates, and the issues that define these partisan and cultural fault lines. The survey illuminates Americans' concerns about the overall direction of the country, the state of the economy, inflation, public education, social correctedness, and the broader health of our democracy, as well as a bunch of other issues, including Christian nationalism, immigration foreign policy, a bunch of different things. But this particular survey caught my eye the other day because I saw a headline on... You know, some of the right or wrong direction questions on the country and, you know, has this country changed since the 1950s? A lot of this stuff, it looks like a lot of the other surveys, like in terms of people not really having a lot of faith in our economy and the direction of our country. But the one that made the headline was about support for political violence as a response to the direction of the country, which is a very interesting question to be asking and PRI says that it has asked this question around support for political violence um, in eight separate surveys since March of 2021. So that's just the last two years, two and a half years. And this current survey is the first time that support for political violence amongst Americans has peaked above 20%. So what they mean is that 23% of Americans agree in, quote, because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country, end quote. Uh, in 2021, as a comparison, it was 15%. So it's gone from 15 to 23%. So I thought, let's dig in further here. They have a really helpful graphic on this. Reread the question. Yes. That people are responding to. Okay, end quote. Because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Okay. So just, <laughs> I'll stop you there, uh -huh. right? Yeah. So this is a this is something that they've polled eight times since 2021. That's correct. Eight times since 2021. Yes. This is like just a classic example of how misleading motivated polling can be. 
the, the question is asked with a particular cable news riddled mind point of view that, oh, it's obvious what that means. But just read it one more time. Because things have gotten so far off track, true American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. Okay. Does that refer to the war in Ukraine? Does does that refer to uh, does that refer to global competition with China? Does that refer to uh, uh, crime in cities? Does that refer to? I mean, these numbers are reported out as as if. Well, everyone who answers the question knows what we're talking about. Obviously, we're talking about January 6th, but January 6th isn't referenced. Um, also, note the question is coded to appeal to conservative sensibilities. So they use the term, uh, what is it, American, American patriots. patriots. So, so, you know, it could have said, it, you know, you get completely different results to the question if you say things have gotten so bad in this country, those committed to social justice may need to resort to political violence to correct wrongs. You get a completely different answer. But again, the question is, what is that actually testing? What is that actually showing? Is it political violence, proclivities toward pro political violence? I don't think so. You're you're. You're, you're, you're testing the power of polarization at the very same time that you're advancing what you're doing is somehow like highlighting extremism so that it can be compared. No, you're intentionally inflaming these extreme responses. And that's before we even get to the most egregious aspect of this, which is, Melissa, this question comes... This question about political violence comes out of a at the end uh, or in the middle of a battery of questions. The question directly preceding it is about government sex, satanic sex trafficking rings. Uh, the question, uh, a question earlier, is about transgenderism in schools, and so. Like, th this is just manipulative polling at its most manipulative, at its most sort of uh, uh, transparently uh, coercive, which is you ask all of these questions and frame all of these issues that set a context for the question. You propose the idea that uh, there are kids trapped in in satanic government supported sex trafficking rings. You raise all the book banning stuff. You raise all this stuff, and then you say, and then you ask a question because things have gotten so far off track. True American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save our country. 
but then you only report in your study, you only present the political violence question without even letting the readers know, unless they dig in, unless they're polling savants, unless they're nerds like us, you report that data and no one ever knows how you set respondents up for that for the, to to answer that question it 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 is just insane and the very start of that question is because things have gotten so far off track i thought okay is this connected to the direction of our country question did this come right after and it was it for people who answered yes i think the direction of our country is off track no so it there it makes a presumption it creates a bias at the very beginning and plus if i were like an independent or democrat or republican who doesn't think the country's off track but i'm presented how with do that, you answer that how question? do you answer that question that's my one of my biggest questions but anyways i thought okay um we see that there's been an increase overall of when you answer this question for all americans and then the headline was more around white evangelical protestants being the highest and republicans having the highest in terms of 31% of white evangelical Protestants would say yes to supporting political violence and 33% of Republicans overall would say yes to supporting political violence. And that was the headline that I saw. And I then I went and looked at the graphic and I, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Isn't the story here the difference between 2021 and 2023, the jumps? And on this survey, every single group jumped. So Republicans, Independents, Democrats all jumped. White evangelical Protestants, white mainline slash non-evangelical Protestants, Hispanic Catholics, white Catholics, black Protestants, religiously unaffiliated and non-Christian religions all jumped. And the biggest jumps were black Protestants doubled, went from 12 to 24, religiously unaffiliated went almost double from 12 to 23, and non-Christian religions went more than double from 9 to 23%. And so the jumps are where... I am seeing the issue, not the absolute the absolute data of who has the highest. And so I thought that the, the headline was really interesting, but the story isn't there. The story is, you know, if you were to take this question as being better formed and not created in a sort of biased vacuum of wild questions being asked before it, the jumps across the board would then be alarming to me. But I don't know, again, with these surveys, and Michael and I know, I know if you're a, you, a regular listener, um, you know that we've heard us talk about polling constantly, any kind of polling, really, that lately, over the past two years, we've just noticed that there's a lot of polling from all kinds of sources that just is not up to snuff and creates more questions than actual answers. But the headlines would make you think that we have answers. Well, yeah. I mean, it 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 is um, it's it it it's it's like the pinnacle of how the so public polling was developed aspirationally under the idea that if you could survey the American people in a representative, scientific way to um, 
elucidate what where they stood on particular issues that it could aid a democratic representative form of government. This was like the initial impulse. This was like George Gallup's dream, which is George Gallup had this civic impulse that if that 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 polling could sort of bring voters and decision makers uh, elected officials policymakers closer together it would strengthen our democracy it would strengthen the sense of representation that individuals uh, felt because decisions would would better reflect their views uh, and those of their community that was that was the original goal of polling and this is what it has become which is manipulating public opinion to drive a particular narrative and so instead of voters uh and americans feeling closer to elected officials, feeling more represented, uh, having their views sort of accurately reflected in reporting and in policy decisions, you instead have the intentional manipulation and really like misrepresentation of where the American people are, creating a sense of estrangement and promoting anti-democratic uh, 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 ends and, and sort of anti-democratic uh, uh, sort of sort of sentiments and and um, developments, and, and it, it's just it's just like oh, I, it just it just it just burns me up because if 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 all you wanted to do was to get a sense of whether society is becoming more prone to political violence or less prone to political violence, uh, there are like more direct ways to do it. Uh, you don't need to play all these games, but ju you just look at the top line questionnaire and you go, oh, this is, this is like not even, this isn't a mistake. This isn't, no, this, this is constructed to actually get in between uh, a, a reasonable sort of representation of voters and, and a preferred narrative for whatever, for whatever reason. I could speculate on why, why this is preferred. Um, I mean, one reason is we got a whole bunch of headlines about uh, uh, who's most uh inclined to violence and, and here's just the last thing i'd say um we've spent like um, this sort of like um what's the word i'm, I'm looking for um I, I i'm not sure it's the healthiest thing to do to break down answers to questions like this into somewhat arbitrary racial and religious categories. Like I think I think the that whole practice 
is worth worth questioning, especially because of the arbitrariness of it. So just looking here, the, the breakdown, Hispanic Catholics, but okay, why not? His, why aren't Hispanic Protestants uh, religiously unaffiliated? Okay, why not? Why not an atheist breakout? Uh, it, it, it like like it's it, it's just it's just so deeply deeply uh, manipulative, and, and th th this survey data is announced at an event with a reputable think tank under the idea that it's providing data that policymakers and others can make decisions off of. Like that's the whole, that, that, that's the crime of it. <laughs> that, that, that there, there's a veneer of credibility that surrounds this kind of thing. Yeah. One quick anecdote. Uh, I have been part of putting together about five different studies or five different pieces of public polling with um, two very major public polling agencies and one independent. And the first two times it surprised me, and by the, by the end I was even more surprised. When I was working with the, the really big mainstream uh, polling agencies, it was kind of incredible how much the questions rested on me. And luckily I had a colleague who had a PhD, a ton of training in quantitative research, who really understood um, how questions create, can create biases and things like that and um, could help design the survey in a way that really led to some real results. And it was kind of amazing to me how it was left so much to us and we didn't get much advice. We were kind of allowed to ask whatever questions we ended up wanting. And obviously we had a research question, so you have to go with your client's research question so that they achieve their research aims. But I was amazed at the lack of guidance that we were given. And Finally, when we went and worked with the independent agency, it was amazing how it was night and day where for the first time I finally was working with someone who said, hey, if you use that preposition in that way, it's probably going to lead to this kind of answer. Or I would word it in this way because I've worked with this kind of, uh, you know, with this kind of work before and it tends to lead towards answers like this. But if you ask it in this way, you might get more towards what you actually want. We finally received some sort of guidance in that way as to how into like human behavior and how questions are asked in the order in which they're asked um and the adjectives and the adverbs and the prepositions and everything about the question and how it goes into how people actually hear it and then respond to it and then obviously the form whether it's online over the phone that kind of thing but it was a really it was a very illuminating uh experience for me those few times that i've done public polling and just sort of how it's a choose your own adventure sometimes. Yeah. And so I don't think we plan on just focusing on, but like, I kind of don't want to, frankly, like I'm, I'm sure we could go question by question and find questions that are asked in a reasonable way. And again, I found other PRI research to be helpful at, at various points. Um, just so listeners know, uh, like we, when we started recording, we hadn't like, the, the, I'm just really jarred by the, by not just, we were, we were going to talk about the framing of the question itself, which I thought was problematic and misleading. Um, the, the, we, as we've been recording, we've come upon 
how the uh, the the order of the questions, um, which to, <laughs> I'm just kind of like blown blown away by it. So this is you are listening to a live <laughs> a live reaction, reaction of us Michael and digging Melissa. through polling numbers at one in the morning on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> this is our life. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, okay, so. I guess, look, so like the the takeaway from this is don't fall too, too easily, too immediately for what seems to be authoritative science database. I think for Christians, we're in a time right now where a lot of Christians feel like, gosh, there were so many things I missed. I thought, I thought, you know, maybe I had a rose color, rose colored view of the church or this or that at one point. And I, I am just starting to realize now that there were things that I missed, that there were things that were wrong. There were things that were tolerated that shouldn't have been tolerated. And so now we're in this moment where it's kind of a new kind of confirmation bias where I think folks are, folks can be too ready to uh, adopt whatever critique is being leveled without much discernment and without much there's sort of an assumption of of guilt or like an assumption that well i um people made critiques before and i didn't listen to them and now i think that they were right about those critiques so now whenever people make critiques i'm going to assume they're right no that's like an over correction that's an that's an overreaction as motivated as people are in whatever political camp you left uh, the new political camp you find yourself in can be just as motivated <laughs> and be uh, just as uh, uh, blind to their own biases. Uh, and like, frankly, so like, so can we. And so, um, you know, I just encourage people to, to be careful about especially in this sort of rapid fire news environment where we, you know, we read this tweet that has a new sort of data finding, new sort of accusation. And we go, well, yeah, that sounds right. And then we start repeating it. And then it's like, oh no, if you actually look at the survey, it's based on a sample size of, you know, 240 or, or the questions that, uh, the way the survey was constructed, uh, it seemed designed to elicit this particular response. Well, similar questions that weren't designed that way got a different response. And, uh, and so I guess that, that would be, you know, that, that would be the takeaway. The other takeaway is uh, I think Pew Research does fantastic work. Yes. Uh, I, think, I think Pew doesn't get everything right all the time, but... Uh, um, uh, but I go to Pew for my uh, my American religious landscape data. Just saying. All right, friends. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, this is great. This has been like this, Melissa. This has been like 
this has been a year of just absolutely manipulative, manipulative, awful data coming out of PRI. And like, it just has to be, it's just unconscionable. Straight talk express. All right, friends. Love ya. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week on Where We Are. Bye.